Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, so uh, guys, we're just going to jump right into this. So right now we are talking to Tobias Forsling. Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. Awesome. All right. So Tobias, uh, why don't we start? You tell us uh, where you're working right now. Uh, right now I'm working at uh, Torhead Studio, uh, a pretty small studio here in, in Kvöbde, Sweden. Yeah. Um, and in that team, I'm working together with uh, a sister studio called Palindrome Interactive. Okay. Uh, I've been working there for almost a year now. Awesome. All and, right. And um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And do you want to throw your art station up on the screen for those who are here uh, with us live? Yeah. So here is kind of the work I've done over the past two years, I think. Okay. So what kind of work are you known for? What's the job that you do? So I'm a lead environment artist at the moment, uh -huh. uh, and but the, the work that I'm known for that I do is environment art, and okay. uh, that that kind of entails building levels and props for the levels for for games. Now every time I talk to people about this environment artist, I should say, um, I'm I always want to drill further down because environment arts is so broad. There's world builders, props, there's material, the people who just focus on material, there's look dev, um, there's sci-fi, there's, you know, um, interior, exterior. So um, in terms of like the whole broad spectrum, is there any way to kind of pin down what you do a little bit more to say like, this is my specialty? Well, I guess there is. I mean, I... As a, as a as a preference, I, I prefer doing like level art and propping, like building out a space and just taking the props that that our team has built and just building up a space with those props to tell a story and to build up the world. Uh, but as my actual work goes, I act I do create props myself and I do like my scenes myself. Uh, work a lot with the particles and so it's it's not that one sided, but Sure, I have preferences. Okay, great, perfect. So for you, it's level design, but you find yourself, in the case of um, most environment artists, in small, smaller uh, studios, you you kind of do everything. Yeah. So lighting, and does lighting include effects or any of that stuff? Uh, this, to to some extent, yeah. I mean, like setting up a uh, a small small system for creating a lightning effect in in a weather system, or right, or. Yeah even going as far as setting up particles in a weather system that could also fall upon us if we don't, don't have a dedicated uh, effects artist on the project we're working on. Great. So tell me a little bit about your education. What did you do to get yourself here? Did you go to school? You're self-taught? Well, I, I would consider consider it being a kind of a mixture. I mean, I technically I studied uh, university for uh, four years, mm -hmm. getting a master's degree in art. Yeah. Um, and the, but during that time, the school was or the studies were formatted in a way so that you got a lot of free time uh, outside of school, which resulted in me doing a lot of self-teaching to get to where I am today. Got it. Um, How did you train yourself? Where did you go? What did you do? Um, oh, wow. Um, I've, I think the first thing I did really was to look in, in my class 
yeah. at school and I, I met up with people having kind of the same ambition and same goals as me and we started working together outside of school and mm. kind of helped each other grow. I found some some people that were way above me in skill and I quickly realized that if I work with these people, I'm going to learn tons of stuff. Right. That's great. Uh, and where would you but, classify? But then I, then I can, yeah, sorry, no, you go ahead. Finish that thought. Uh, but then I kind of, at the same time, move like, like use the online, any online resources I could find, like, you know, the classical, you go YouTube, you find, uh, I don't know, any art community, 10,000 hours level up, you, you take all the, all the help and critiques you can get. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And then, uh, how do you categorize your work? Stylized? Um, how, how do we, how do we speak about it? Well, I, my, my work is really mixed mm -hmm. if I would say so myself. Yeah. Uh, but but that's a that's by choice. I, I my my the games that I've worked on have been very stylized, and from that I noticed that I'm kind of painting myself into a corner mm -hmm. of only doing one thing. Right. And that's I think that's a dangerous spot, and for me a kind of boring spot to be as be in yeah. as an artist. Yeah, I understand. How about the software? Because um, it looks like a lot of the work that you do, you, these could basically be hand painted uh, textures to some extent, but are you using substance and and how is that figuring in if you are? Uh, so um, I don't think I've used, actually haven't used any hand painted stuff aside from some very small like tweaks and touches here and there. Awesome, yeah. Uh, the earlier stylized stuff was made in uh, in ZBrush actually. Yeah. And then and then we used uh, normal map and ambient occlusion bakes from those two create the rest of the textures okay um but now for my realistic stuff i use uh, yeah i use the substance package okay if we're looking at like you've got some for the lancelot you've got some tiling textures um how did yes. you generate those is that via the zbrush technique yeah so these were made it's a mixture actually these uh the one i'm showing right now mm -hmm. the grass texture yeah uh, our 2d artist uh, at the time was drew a patch of grass that i didn't um, made tileable through some magic in Photoshop. Right. Um, but the the rocks and the cliffs and uh, and stuff like that is made in in ZBrush, like sculpting unique some unique stones and then building up a grid of them that's tiling. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what kind of software do you use every day? What's your pipeline look like? Um, well, my everyday use is Maya and Unity mostly, uh, and the Substance package at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, hasn't been that much ZBrush lately, uh, since that's what it, what's required at work at the moment with what we're working on. But um, a bit of Photoshop as well when it comes to some texture tweaks and like any image work really that's not done directly to the model and Substance Painter. Got it. And you guys use Unity? Yeah, and I have been using it for uh well since ever since i started making games it's been my the engine i started out in and the engine i've stuck with ever since because it's the one i learned and i like it yeah it's quite powerful we use that for the virtual reality class um but what changes have you noticed or do you kind of see on the horizon because unreal is is definitely you know positioning itself and it's um it's lighting and all of that seem to be quite powerful Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the the competition between the all the engines uh, is really intense, and it's sometimes quite hard to, to to choose. I mean, for for a for a very long period of time, I was I wanted to switch to Unreal, but the programmer on our team didn't want to switch because he felt more comfortable working in Unity. 
Right. Uh, and I kind of, I don't know, out of habit, went along with it. And, or I mean, went into his point of view and I'm on his side now. I, I actually prefer Unity because I know the tool and it's the easiest way for me to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the things that are, you know, easiest about Unity as opposed to something like Unreal? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, actually. It's, um, I think it would be one of the greatest things is, is that it would be the easy way I have of like importing and exporting, uh, or actually not exporting, but importing and making changes to models in, yeah. inside Unity. If I, if I make a change in, on a model in Maya and then export it, it takes like two seconds to import and refresh it inside the scene on wherever it is, wherever it's instantiated. Yeah. So it's a very fast way to try and iterate, uh, you can iterate quick on, on your on work in there. Cool. That makes sense. So how, how long have you been doing this? If I can ask, oh, I've been doing this for, let's see, uh, I've been working here for one year. And then I, before that I worked at another studio for about one and a half years. So, and then, so almost three years I've been doing games really. A uh, big part of that was during my time at university as well. So we actually started the first studio I was at. Uh, we started while we were studying in school, taking all that free time we had to actually make something of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what do you think environment artists need to have in their portfolio these days to really, you know, increase their chances of getting that interview? I don't mean job, just like, what do you think in, they need to have in their portfolio um, or show in some way in their portfolio to increase the chances of getting that interview? Well, um, I think that, that you need a good mixture of, of good, as an environment artist, you're kind of looking at a role of combined prop artist and level artist. So you're, you're, kind of expected to, to be able to do props and do levels at the same time. And in that, I think you need to show those skills. You need to show that you can create a good prop in a good isolated view, just showcase close up one thing that's really good looking. But then you also need to have a piece where you show that you can dress a full scene and make it look really pretty while having the fundamentals of composition and, and all that in mind and show that you master or kind of master those those skills. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to dress a scene? Uh, that's when you take all the props you have and you build it into a scene. You take rocks and sticks and trees and you place them into the scene and you dress it up as into what you want it to become. Got it. So if we're talking about, if we look, if we're looking at your um, Lancelot sections and we're looking at, um, let's say, yeah, this might be it. And we're looking at the Thornwood post. Thornwood, yeah. How do you pull this together? What are what's the stages for you in developing something like this? Uh, so developing this at this at the point when I made this, we already had a bunch of of props created. So it was more of a matter of just taking what we had and building something off it. Mm -hmm. But if if we look further behind than that, the first step would be to create all the props right. to figure out what what props you need to build this. Um, we had a very vague concept of what we wanted the level to be so a lot of what it ended up being was made up as we created it um but then then it's just a matter of placing things out into the level and at the same time having game design tested out and mm -hmm. having a very iterative process in there in with them changing out what doesn't work what does work um and like constantly re iterating on on those things 
Okay. So about how many elements do we see here? You know, because I know there's a lot of repetition, but um, if we're thinking about, you know, let's say if we're an environment artist, we're trying to figure out how to do this kind of scene and we're looking at a photograph or, or concept art, uh, it's kind of easy to get overwhelmed with all the props that we have to make. So yeah, how do we manage that? And, and how many props do we actually, or elements do we actually see in, in this Thornwood environment? Uh, well, yeah, I get you. It's it's um it sometimes can look really really daunting to look on some on on some environment pieces yeah. where they have a lot, have a lot of lot of stuff. But in in this scene that I've up right now on my screen, mm -hmm. I think we have a total of seven rocks, um, one pine tree. This tree is the only crooked tree we have. So the roots that are going going around is also this tree just move into the ground. Uh, some planks, I think there's two of those. This thorn thingy. And some ground textures. Uh, the ruin parts, I think there are three of three to three constellations of them. So it's not that many individual props, mm -hmm. but you you just have to be smart with how you use them and how, and 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 in that how you create them as well. Because if you create them in the wrong way, you won't be able to use use them as in as many cases. And ex explain that to me. What do you? How how do we? What are some of the problems that we can run into along that line? So so if if uh, for example if I were to make um, take this um, this ruin part if I were to like combine that with the other ruin parts that which was actually was my first first intent when I created the the ruins um, and then I then I realized that I can't use these because it's a, such a large piece of of rock that basically blocks off almost half the levels wherever I put it mm -hmm. so I ended up splitting out splitting it up into three, three parts making it a lot more usable and not only on this level but on many other levels as well okay got it and is that common for you to kind of build this library of assets you know across and then just start to pull from one level to another to another uh, for for i mean for, for this game we did that we started we started out building props and then we took a couple of months to build all the levels that we wanted yeah. but for um, for other productions for the one i'm in now we don't really work that that way. We, I mean, in in some way, yeah. We we list up the the props that we need, yeah. and then we build a level from it. But a part of it comes as you go along, as you and as you notice that oh shit, we need this stuff as well, and then yeah. you need to fill it up with with more stuff because you when take for example, if I if I want to build a want our team to have a parking lot in a level, yeah. and I say well we're gonna need a fence, a couple of cars, a light a light post. Uh, let's make that. And then when I dress that up, I see that this looks really empty. We need like trash on the ground. We need uh, some small grass uh, sticking out between some 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 of the the sidewalk mm -hmm. rocks. Yeah. Uh, and then it, so it kind of evolves as you work on it, I guess. Right. I get that. Okay. Um, it's always funny when I'm talking to artists too, because a lot of artists will talk about how they they need to be more structured and more outlined and and more focused. <laughs> and my response is, well, you wouldn't be an artist, right? So you'd, you'd be something else. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that's important when we talk about this kind of um, uh, process, because as an environment artist, you know, really, and you correct me if you're if I'm wrong, but this is a crazy amount of stuff you got to do. So you're gonna you know, miss things. It's not going to be structured necessarily the way you want it to be. There's is there's always some adjustment that happens, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, it's. I mean, no matter how good you are, there, I, I bet you there's. I mean, you can have 20 years of experience, and I bet there's something that you're not gonna see beforehand that you're gonna need. Uh, and and I think that's my, my view on it is that it's kind of a part of planning to be that be adjustable in that. Good planning is a plan that is adjustable for the things that you didn't think of when you made the plan. No, I love that. That's a great quote. Good planning is planning that's adjustable for all the things that you didn't plan for. Sweet. Yeah. I'm going to tattoo that on my forearm so I can look at that frequently. (laughs) It's a little wordy, but we'll see. Uh, all right, so um, Jacqueline is asking uh, about, and and I kind of want to I want to get into Jacqueline's question a little bit more, but I'll start right away with it. She's asking how often do environment artists do VFX um, effects? Yeah, um, it depends on where in the industry you work. Um, in AAA, it's you kind of don't do it at all mm-hmm. uh, because then you have like hundreds of people very specified in one thing doing their thing. So you will have artists that only do VFX and they're really good at it because of that. But at a smaller studio, uh, of uh, which I'm working at right now, um, I would expect uh, an, an environment artist or a 3D artist to be able to do it. And if they wouldn't be able to do it, I would have to teach them because it's a part of the pipeline. And unless we hire one, we are the best people to do it. Got it. And do you do those effects inside of, say, Maya and port it over or directly inside of Unity? Uh, for our case, it's directly inside Unity, but uh, you could do them inside Maya as well. It really depends on, on what you what you need. If you would like need a smoke simulation or a fire simulation software like Maya is, would be better. Yeah. But and if you're going to do, I don't know, floating yellow uh, flies or uh, fireflies or something, right. then a, sim- a simpler thing in Unity would be easier. And one of the advantages I've always heard people talk about with Unity is the store. But that's also kind of the problem that uh, a lot of people have had is the store, right? Because you can buy anything mm-hmm. you want to make. So I, I'm working with a game designer right now. We're building out his course, um, his Unreal course. And one of the things that he was talking about was uh, how you know Unity is it's a beautiful platform, and uh, that's how you know he's made his living, you know, uh, all the way up until now. But one of the issues that's happening with um, certain games is that you know everything comes from the Unity store, so everything has that same kind of quality, so to speak. And uh, and you know original Unreal tends to kind of force you to to do original assets a touch more. Um, do you are you guys buying stuff from the store? Are you developing everything in house and and whatnot? Or how useful is that store to you as a as an environment artist? Uh, well, I, I mean, I I kind of agree with 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 your friend there that that a lot of what you see from Unity is is from the store. Yeah, and that's a, I think that's a problem that Unity themselves are aware of that they and they are trying to to take the light away from. They don't want to be seen as as that. Like with the, and with the Atom project and things like that? Yeah, exactly. They want to show that you can, with that, and they actually do show that you can make good-looking stuff with Unity, which which I believe you can. And and um, I guess, sure, you could you could make, you could make go and buy, buy some of the stuff, but, I mean, as an artist, it's part of the challenge is to make it yourself. I mean, if I were to go buy my rocks somewhere, I wouldn't get anything out of it. And then I would just be... I don't know. It was, would be like micro microtransaction for for some of my skills, just bypassing the actual grind to get the actual skill. 
That's a great point. You know, and it was actually one of the things that we really focused on when I worked at Pixelogic on ZBrush. Um, people were always asking for features. Can you do this feature like Maya? Can you do that feature like Maya? And, you know, all, always there was this feature to make their life easier. And it was almost a given that if the purpose of the feature was simply to make somebody's life easier, it just wasn't going to happen. Because the, the craft and the art of it isn't, you know, people aren't coming to it because it makes their life easier. They're coming to it because it makes it basically adds value to their life, right? So if you wanted to make characters and you wanted to do it the easy way, you'd go get Daz or Poser. Who sculpts their own characters? You know, some crazy person, yeah. you know, who wants to <laughs> basically sculpt and model their entire environment, you know, when you can go buy a bunch of rocks off Unity or, or even Turbo Squid, you know, some crazy person. So, you know, which where I guess we're yeah, all yeah. there. Well, I mean, we're artists after all. Yeah. So, um, but, we, but I mean, to, to, uh, to, to, to answer your, your question, I, yes. uh, so we do actually buy some of some stuff that, that is needed in the, in the pipeline. I mean, if we, we find some, something that we see that this is something that meets the quality of the quality level that we have, then we can implement it into the game or we can actually buy stuff and then edit it. Uh, to fit our quality needs because when you buy stuff from there you get almost full or for almost everything you get full editorial control over it so you can buy a, a system and then edit it to your to your needs right uh, and it's not just 3d assets it's mostly about tools i think mm -hmm. uh, one big one big thing is that you know you know unreal has the blueprint system which unity lacks uh, and i've used myself uh, started using uh uh, amplify shader editor to to basically create my own shaders and to have better control over how I create my materials. Uh, tell me more about and, that. And that's yeah yeah. So I I uh, got got the advice from a from a, a friend and he uh, and he he was using it as well and and uh, so I I kind of I did for a while and then I bought it and I I, I don't know I realized the the power that is behind creating your own shaders. I could I could like combine textures into to I could control how my models were receiving the texture I was giving them mm. in a way and it's it's opened up so many doors for me to to create what I wanted uh, and plus it's really fun to to be able to work with as well cool yeah Joseph is noting that he thinks the real value of unity asset store is actually in the tools not the assets but the tools and amplify I, I yeah I completely agree I I came across amplify I think a year ago when we were starting the VR boot camp and um, that looks like an unbelievable tool for creating your own shaders and doing them with this kind of, you know, I guess a, a look that's similar to, to some of the stuff that I'm seeing on Lancelot. Or, or what have you found um, the value of, of Amplify uh, for you so far? Uh, so, so I, I uh, if I, I'm gonna switch to this one because this is the in this piece, this was the first I made with with Amplify. Okay, and great. Here I, I, and this is, this is where I can. Who are, aren't uh, aren't watching the actual one? This is called the Ancient Oasis over on his art station. Yes, and I, uh, I discovered I, it's this is where I discovered all the the uses for it. And I mean, I take this pillar in the background, for instance. I these snake symbols and stuff. These are not textured directly into the pillar. These are added as a separate layer in the shader, as just a normal map. And then it blends that normal map together with the one I already have on the pillar. So you can you can start to con yeah, like I said, control how things are made in a much more free way. That's great. So kind of like a layer stack, is that how I understood it? Well, that's that's 
part of it. Yeah, you can I can like you can blend two different textures without actually combining them into one texture. So uh, see uh, if you look at it, I feed put in two textures, and while they are being processed in the computer, they are being merged into one, and then put on top of the model as right. it's being rendered and put on my screen. Got it. Okay. And, you know, back along those lines, so I know tools are powerful inside of Unity. I've seen that. And this, you know, this is a great, great setup uh, scene. Um, how about when you've got an environment artist, they want a job as an environment artist. You know, let's say the I, I'm just starting out. I'm a student. I want a job. I want a job at a AAA studio, but really I'll take like anything. You know, I just, I want to be in the industry because, you know, Starbucks um, is grating on my nerves. Another unicorn frappuccino <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to lose my mind kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. do I use assets? Do I create my own? Um, where's the line there for, for if I'm going to build it inside of Unity, you know, am I even, am I allowed to touch any assets that are already there so that people can see that I can set dress or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, of course you, I mean, uh, a good, a good stepping stone could be to like to, just to practice your your dressing skills. Could mm -hmm. be to, to like buy an asset pack of really cool looking stuff and then just spend a couple of weeks, maybe a month, dressing dressing the scene, lighting the scene to show that you can show your skills in dressing and and uh, lighting. But it would sure be a big plus if you showed the, or if you created the assets yourself as well, because then you would get like I said, then you would get kick-ass props on your portfolio and a kick-ass scene. Got it. All right. That actually makes a lot of sense because if if you're going to um, create an environment and you're going to, let's say, pull some assets in from Unity and, and all of that and you, you create the scene, you could just make the scene is the art station post. You'll put on your description in the side. You'll put, hey, I bought this from this asset pack and things like that. And this is about set dressing and lighting and things like that. Um, but none of those yeah. assets would then go into an individual posts. Uh, you'd have to do that for the other stuff. That makes sense to me. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, if we head over to your um, Sacred Grove post, one of the things that I'm noticing about your work is you've got a lot of these like dioramas, so to speak, which is uh, something I've been seeing out a little bit. We were um, interviewing Joanne uh, Elvidge, I think. Did I get that correct? Uh, and, you know, she has these beautiful uh, just dioramas, just unreally, really great stuff that is all like a cinematic package. Um, so, you know, in there's if we're thinking about environment artists and yeah, let me see if I can find her uh, exact. Is it Joanne? Joe Elve. Joe Elve. Anya Joe Elvidge. Anya, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm dyslexic. So if you're listening to this, um, you know, forgive me. I put the J in front of the A and it all became one. <laughs> yeah, I, I found her on ArtStation now. Yeah. So Anya Joe Elvidge. Uh, you know, just pulling together these beautiful things that she posted on are on level 80. And uh, so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about my environment students and I'm looking at your work um, with Sacred Grove again, thinking about my environment students. And I'm thinking, you know, if there's one project I want them to create, if, uh, you know, what are the parameters that are going to help them make a difference in that um, in that portfolio, in their career to really get that interview? So, you know, this is a complete package. Your sacred grove is a complete package. You look at uh, Anya uh, Joe Elvidge, it's kind of a complete package. But then my environment students will come in and they'll be like, I want to create this sepulchral, this kind of church interior. And then it's very hard for them to finish it, things like that. So what are the um, what's the advice that you give environment artists in terms of the projects that they should make? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, 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 it does. I mean, um, I, I get I get what you're saying that yeah, you you get the whole whole package by doing something like this, and it's it's really good because then you like we said, then you get to kind of two you go, get both both the props and the environment in one bang. But if you you have to be careful with the size of the project you're taking on because if you take on something too big, you'll just end up doing like I don't know 200 props, and you'll get tired of it, and you won't have passion for creating it i mean it's art we're creating in the end so you have to be you have to want to make this look amazing and if you lose that that spark of that particular piece it won't end up looking amazing and then it's just wasted time so it's better to that's why smaller dioramas like like some of the the ones i'm seeing at anya's uh, portfolio is is i think are so good to start out with because then you end up doing some props and some dressing in a small format and it starts to show that you can do those things, but on a smaller scale. Awesome. Great. Now, if we switch tracks here a little bit, you, you put together a level 80, um, and I love the guys over at 80 level. Um, you put together a tutorial for them yeah. uh, in February. I think that's one of the ways in which I, I came across. Um, how valuable was this um, this tutorial to you? Did it do anything significant for your career? Do you recommend this kind of work? Or outreach. Which which, uh, which tutorial are we talking about? I did the ancient oasis. So refining yes. environment um, design with clever shaders. Yeah, here. Um, yeah, so so I mean this as as I said, I did a lot of a lot of new things in in, in the in this project with a with a whole shader editor and yeah. and a lot of other stuff as well. Like um, and it was really fun. And I mean the best way to or the most fun way to share new new discoveries is to tell other people about it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so I mean, this this was absolutely super fun to do, and I think one one thing that I'm not sure how I should, how I should uh, phrase it. Mm-hmm. One one way to test how you truly learn something is to try and teach it to someone else. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't teach it to someone else, you haven't learned it enough, or you're not good enough at it. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. Um, and one of the things that I've been talking to my boot campers about is. You know, it's basically my entire career. Everything I have comes from sharing whatever I know with people, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that's everything I have in my career. It's a business, it's the house. You know, everything I have comes from just sharing um, what I have. But I have, you know, I have a slightly different um, uh, situation because you know that I've ended up building my whole life around that. But how valuable is it to people who are working in the game industry to take a moment? document this stuff, share it with their friends? What are the like real practical effects in their life? Uh, does it increase quote unquote brand awareness? You know, and I'll just, I just mean, does it help people get to know who you are? Um, does it help you get a job? Has it helped yep. in any way like that? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think definitely it sure does. I mean, while you're sharing your, your way of not just sharing your work as a re- regular portfolio piece on ArtStation, mm-hmm. if you're also sharing your looks, or your techniques behind that piece, it grab it drives even more attention towards your piece because it, right. because if people look at look at a scene like this and they think, like, oh shit, this looks this looks great. How did he make that? And then if I have an article somewhere or a blog post or or a, maybe even a video of me creating that, people are gonna go even further and dive into more of my stuff, and that builds more more recollection and more thing to my name. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's definitely gonna or I think that's definitely gonna be to my advantage. Uh, and and as well, the I think most of the industry is built upon us sharing with each other. I mean, even though AAA and almost every game studio is very secretive about their techniques, there's a kind of 
strange and good way everyone is sharing techniques and sharing the will to help each other improve as artists. I mean, that's why why we're doing things like things like this and things like um, the level up and and level eighty as well. Yeah, yeah, level eighty's putting out I don't know six sometimes eight posts a day just sharing stuff is quite powerful. Um, there yeah. is a, uh, a section in this tutorial where you talk about hard edge, soft edge, and you're talking about the water edge, I believe you're using uh, the substance yeah. designer. Uh, yes, or no, not for the water. No, I'm using, that's, I'm, I'm creating that in, uh, in the shader editor. Okay, so um, explain this to me. What's, what are we trying to achieve here? So, so we see. Yeah, I can enlarge it as well. Um, so, what I what I did when I created the water was that I had a I I created this water shader that like had transparency and normal warping and reflections and all mm -hmm. that stuff, yeah. and it looked pretty good. But I noticed that I had this ugly hard edge where it met and met the other mesh, which was the ground, right. and that doesn't look natural. So I needed to find a way to get rid of that, yeah. and a way to do that was to you could take the distance. That mesh had to the dis to the mesh behind it and blend in that into the transparency. Got it. Does now that makes sense. It does. It does. But now the next question is: is if you look at the entire image, that's probably maybe you know depending on the size of it, but you know that's probably like you know twenty pixels across. Not a lot of space. It's not very big, right? Yeah, yeah. But but I mean that's that's I, even though it's a very small part of the image, it's the small things amount up to a big bit the bigger picture in the end so if i if i would have shown the video without without that fixed and without all the other things that i fixed over over the time i worked on it it wouldn't have looked as good so all those tiny fixes mount up to it looking better in the end great perfect that's it it's kind of exactly where i was leading because the other element here that i i see um is students will start out and they'll want they'll be like okay i'm gonna make this i'm gonna make that and everything's linear in their mindset they're like my goal is here i make this i'll be 50 percent done with assets that means i'm 50 percent done <laughs> and that means you're probably yeah. like 15 percent done um so what are some of the can you explain the process of of how you do this and get to it. You know, how much of it is actually building? How much of it is you kind of massaging scenes and finessing and dealing with things like this, this tiny little hard edge versus soft edge part? So, so um, I don't know. A lot of it is is actually about like iterating what you you, you start with. A, I can actually get you a, a GIF to to show as an example. Okay. Uh, because uh, I do take I take progress shots uh, throughout my the creation of my levels, and I to in the end show how how it has evolved over time. And here you can see that pretty early on, I start to like block out and get out the basic composition of the image, uh, and then I start tweaking the scale. And even though it's the kind of the same palm trees all the time, it's the same sand on the ground all the time. It's about adding the the finer and finer detail all along the way. Is that the um, Adam uh, character for scale that's added in there? In the yeah, beginning? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, awesome. I use the Adam character as awesome. a scale reference in my project, uh, cool. and I, I think that uh, like uh, someone sometimes said that it's like ninety percent of the of the time you you spend on a work is for the last ten percent of the project. Yeah, because you reach a point in a project where it's you can keep you constantly keep finding small stuff that you can improve. And that's a good thing because then that means you, you can improve and you should do it. So I find myself even sometimes feeling a pressure to finish up a piece and publish 
shit, but the best thing actually is to stick with it. And if I see stuff that looks looks bad, I should fix it. Because whenever you post a new piece, it should be the best piece that you can make at the time. I think at least that's what I think. That's it. and that's you. You and I, we can say this. I've seen it. I've done it. You've seen it. You've done it. But when you were first starting out, that was probably a hard lesson for you to to even listen to. Um, yeah, yeah. How how do how how did you kind of uh, I don't know how to say this, but as you were going, like, what was your journey? Kind of learning that you have to kind of sit with this for so much longer than you maybe like to the point where you're just sick of it, but you know that another hour actually gets amazing results. Yeah, well, from I guess trial and error. I, I mean, in the beginning, you, you um, take this scene for for example again. I mean, when I reached a stage where I uh, where I felt happy with what I got, I, I shared it with with a community that I'm part of with uh, that has a couple of thousand artists in it, environment mm-hmm. artists in it. And um, th- then I like I, I'm, I, I posted the image and I said that I'm feeling kind of happy with what I got so, and I'm feeling kind of stuck because I don't know what to improve. And I know it's not perfect because if it was perfect, I, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> you you <laughs> can't make something perfect. Yeah. Uh, so as so I said, like, I'm stuck. Can you help me? And then I got tons of feedback. So when you feel that you've reached a good uh, my or my advice would be that when you think you have, when you think that you have reached a good point and say this is good now, show it to someone or to several other people on your level or above your level or doing uh, or generally doing the same thing as you or other artists, and I bet you they'll have things to critique on that look strange to them and not you because you've been staring on the uh, at this piece for I don't know how many hours and days. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. All right, and so. Um... If somebody wants to get a job at Tarbell, uh, you're at Tarbell, right? No, Tarhead Studio. Tarhead. Okay, good. See, there's my dyslexia. I see the T and the O shape. Uh, so at Tarhead Studio, somebody wants to get a job at Tarhead Studios. Uh, are, does the studio? Does your studio, a studio like yours, do they look for um, experience? Uh, do they have to have shipped a game or anything like that? Well, it depends on when, what kind of position we would be looking for. Sure. I mean, if we, yeah. we we would be looking for a, a, a intern level or junior, no, no. But if if we were missing a lead position, we would most certainly be looking for for experience and experience in shipping previous titles. Yeah. Um, so I I guess it would totally depend on what, what if, kind of if we were talking position the studio is in at the time. Yeah. So if we were talking junior, junior yeah, yeah. So, so you, a junior, I don't think you would need uh, uh, any experience really in shipped titles. The only thing you would have to show is that you have a kick-ass level of quality on your art and that you can produce it in a constant level. Like just having one piece that looks good isn't enough. You need to show that you can do it more than once. Right. Twice? Uh, or... I think at a junior level, that's... Yeah, at a, at a junior level, I think that's what, what's important. And I... I would, I don't know. It's an, uh, there's never a good number, really. I'm, some people say six, some people say twelve, um, but somewhere there in between total pieces of around five and up, but not not above ten, I would say, because then it gets too much, and then it's like your single pieces start to lose glory almost, or or uh, if if I could use that word. Yeah, got it. And then um, what tells you? that somebody's work is really succeeding. One of the things that I teach in the boot camp is that, you know, it's, it's not important to know everything in, mm-hmm. in that it's not even possible. Uh, but it's, 
it's not important. And so students usually come into an experience and they're like, I'm going to learn what I need to do. But then in the process, they usually will discover that there is no way to learn everything you have to do because, you know, there's so much to do. What you have to do instead yeah. is you just have to be doing and producing results that show that you know X, Y, and Z. And um, so we talk yeah. about the industry skills or what I like, the way I like to phrase it is that there are these triggers that when somebody looks at the work, they're like, you're a professional or there's triggers that say, you know, oh yeah, I know where you are. You, you know, you're where I was five years ago. Right. And, you know, tells people that they're in a, in an earlier stage. So like, for example, with me, I know where people are in anatomy by looking at their elbows. So what they do with the elbows, yeah. what they do with the knees, you know, what they do with the ankles. If those aren't sculpted well, I know where they are. Right. It's, it's just, yeah. Yeah. everybody follows the same path. So what do you think are the important things that people miss, you know, um, when they're, they're I'm going for a junior environment artist position, um, I need my work to have, you know, these three things that, you know, people normally miss. So that's a tough one. What, <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, what people nor normally, normally miss out, I mean, uh, it's really all kinds of things, but biggest ones I would say is not correct material definition like you okay. um uh, like if you have a piece of grass that grass looks too too saturated in, in the greens or too too glossy in the in the uh, smoothness or roughness um you you kind of aren't nailing the the textures properly um one thing other thing is the the general use of lighting you you overexpose or you underexpose um that's that's very common i think very early on in students that they they tend to show their props in very dark scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't know why, but I have a hunch or a, an idea that that might be because they, they un, uh, subconsciously don't feel like, or they are kind of shy to show it, which is completely fine. I mean, we're all shy to show our work, mm -hmm. to, and especially when we're early on and showing it to senior people. I mean, even, even senior people are afraid of sharing work with senior people sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I get that. But 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 uh, yeah, I would say that's the and I, I, that's the the bigger ones. And then I mean the the, the general thing is that I where that I often see is you miss out on it, it's the again the tiny things that build up to. You. I can see that you forgot to bevel an edge or you 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 used a texture wrong in some place. You got a, a sloppy UV somewhere or or. And those amount up to seeing things. And when I can see how you have done things, I can see what techniques you are using and what technique techniques you're not using. If that, if 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 I'm making sense. Uh, yeah, totally. No, that makes uh, a lot of sense. So definitely lighting and the exposure value is going to tell you a lot, especially if somebody's blowing out their highlights. Um, it has yeah. to do with how the props are integrated, the, the color, maybe, uh, or I think you said material definition, which has come up multiple yeah. times when I ask people this question. And then the other one is just paying attention to detail, you know, like that hard, yeah. soft edge thing. So if somebody's not paying attention to detail or if they miss too many details, that probably, and I'm just assuming, that probably subconsciously just telegraphs to you that, you know, they're not like there's they're still at that amateur phase where they're expecting this to be a linear process and they're not realizing that they need to put 90% of their time fixing those things. Well, yeah, kind of. And it, 
I mean, it's some part of it is about uh, uh, just training the, your your artistic eye, and in, mm. in, in a sense that you, you don't always see. I remember myself like thinking back on older pieces, and I was posting them and thinking, "Damn, this looks awesome!" And <laughs> I look back at them now, and, and they look like crap. And that was because I didn't have a good enough eye for it back then, so I couldn't yeah. see what I can see now. Yeah. And it's a strange thing, but you you one of the like the details you mentioned, you you often miss out on how objects interact with each other. Take, um, if you make a, um, let's see if I have a good example here. Um, these uh, these scaffolds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, one thing would be to like how the, the logs are interacting with each other. They're like that they have dirt closer to where they interact, that the ropes, they are tied in between, that they're tied together, that the ropes have dirt accumulated on the edge towards the wood. If you would were to miss those things, that's something that would wouldn't instantly stick out as there's no no dirt on the wood. It would look, just look strange, right? And to to the to the trained eye, and I think it's the same thing with the with the hard water edge. It's something that you could miss if you don't have an eye for for finding those details. And that's mm. I think that's part of the big journey of of growing as an artist. You just keep doing it, and you train your eye to see spot those tiny details that in the end will make your piece look perfect that's awesome thank you so much all right tobias men thank you yeah. so much for taking the time and for sharing your um your passion and and your journey with me thank you for having me absolutely Tobias, have an amazing day you too man thank you all right take care take care everybody bye bye all right thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this and i want to ask just two things of you number one make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on apple uh, stitcher spotify really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do number two make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.